0: Chapter Thirteen of a Game of Chance by a Self-Made Man. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen, in which Ed Rickson turns up again under peculiar circumstances. The Bugle and the News, the two weekly papers of Northport, came out that afternoon with a column account of the factory fire, and the Bugle, in particular, praised Will Summers' heroism to the top notch. Both papers also published notices of the project afoot to present the boy with a medal as a mark of the town's appreciation, though the matter in the Times was dismissed with a three-line item in the locals. In addition, each paper printed a report of Will's arrest and the examination before Justice Benson on the charge of breaking into Squire Jarvis's office and stealing certain papers from his desk. The bugle's story was brief and the charge commented on as baseless. On the other hand, the Times, the editor of which was a personal and political friend of Squire Jarvis, gave considerable space to the affair, but while the writer was careful to say nothing which could be construed as a reflection on the lad's honesty, nevertheless he scouted the idea that Ed Rickson was in any way implicated in the crime. On Monday morning Will returned to duty in the engine room, as the first and second floors of the factory were in shape to resume operation. Nothing had been heard from Squire Jarvis in respect to the promissory note. This, of course, was a matter of no surprise to Mrs. Summers or her son, for it was not supposed that any action could be taken until the missing note should have been recovered. A thorough search for the mislaid receipt had proved unavailing. In spite of the fact that Sam Travis regarded the flooding of the swamp as a harebrained sort of proposition, nevertheless he was boy-like interested in the project if only for the purpose of being the first to give his friend Will the laugh as soon as he had assured himself that the scheme was a failure, as he confidently expected that it must prove to be. So, during the week that followed the repairing of the dam, he made daily visits to the ten-acre bog after school. As a matter of course, the change, if any, in that short time in the appearance of the swamp, was not so perceptible to him as if he had waited a week and then inspected it. So at the end of eight days he reported to Will that the bog had not changed, even a little bit. "'You're quite certain of that?' asked Will with a shade of disappointment in his voice. "'Sure thing,' asserted Sam, shaking his head dismally. "'Same old grass and moss, though it looks a bit more soggy. There are a lot of little pools here and there, but that don't count for anything. Well, I'm going out to take a look myself tonight.' The moon will be up after eight o'clock, and there should be light enough for me to see all I want. So after supper, Will started off alone for the swamp lot to size up the appearance of his game of chance. He had arrived within a hundred yards of the place when he heard someone shouting in accents of terror, and the appeal undoubtedly came from the immediate vicinity of the quaking bog. Somebody must have got caught in a swamp. It's as bad as quicksand. He said as he broke into a run. The moon was just rising about the tops of the trees that partially surrounded the swamp lot so that the boy could easily see over the whole surface of the bog. A call for help sounded from the vicinity of the dam, and thither Will directed his steps. He soon made out a dark object floundering about on the surface of the swamp a few yards out. "'Who?' he shouted encouragingly. "'Help! Help!' answered the unfortunate being. A long broken limb was hanging pendant from a tree nearby. The boy seized it, and by a stout pole disengaged it from the heavy limb on which it had grown. Then he ran down to the edge of the morass, called to the struggling person imprisoned by the matted grass, and flung one end of the improvised pole toward him. The luckless person grabbed at it as a drowning man might a plank, and held on with desperate energy until Will succeeded in dragging him to firm ground. "'Give me both your hands now!' cried the boy. They were eagerly extended to him. Planting his feet firmly, Will gave a might tug. The person's feet were suddenly released by the grass and both rolled over together on the dry turf beyond the danger line. They immediately struggled to their feet and looked at one another. The moon shone full on the face of the rescued stranger. Will recognized him instantly. ''Hedrickson!'' he exclaimed. The fellow hastily scrambled to his feet without a word and made a movement as if about to flee. Hold on, Rickson. You needn't be in such a sweat. I'm all alone, said Will. Rickson paused and looked keenly at the boy, and then gave a short laugh as if somewhat reassured. ''Ha-ha! <laughs> it's you, Summers, is it? It isn't anybody else. Where have you been hiding these last ten days? Who says I've been hiding? said Rickson gruffly. I say so for one, and there are others. Now, look here, Will Summers. Do you want to do me a favor? I think I've just done one for you, said the boy grimly. That's right, you have. But I want you to do something else for me. What do you want me to do? asked Will cautiously. I'm kind of fagged out. I haven't had a mouthful today. Will you fetch me something to eat and promise you won't say anything about having seen me out here? You've got a pretty good nerve, I think, after what I've gone through on your account already. What do you mean by that? asked Rickson sharply. "'You used those tools you stole from our place to break into Squire Jarvis's office. "'Then you left them in the place, and so I was accused of doing the job, "'because a certain paper we are supposed to be interested in was found missing.' "'Edrickson grinned as though he had just heard a good joke. "'Oh, well, no harm came of it. "'Everybody knows you're a little angel who wouldn't be guilty of such a thing,' "'he replied with a palpable sneer. A fellow who goes to Sunday school and meeting regularly never goes wrong, of course not. Canada isn't full of those kind of chaps. If you are so anxious for me to do you a favor, you are taking a strange way to get me to accommodate you, said Will in a tone of disgust at Rickson's coarse humor. Only a joke, the now wretched-looking wanderer answered hastily as if suddenly conscious that he had gone too far. For heaven's sake, give me a bite of something to eat, I'm almost starved. He certainly looked it, and there was a pathetic earnestness about his request that easily assured Will that Rickson told the truth. "'Well,' said the boy, "'I can't refuse a hungry man something to eat, but it'll take me some time to get it here.' "'You won't tell anyone you've met me here, will you?' asked Rickson anxiously. "'I shan't volunteer the information, and you promise not to fetch anybody back with you. I shall be on the watch, so it won't do any good.' "'I'll return alone.' "'said Will coldly. "'I wish you would fetch a blanket with you if you could, "'for it's mighty cold hanging around here, "'especially when a fellow's trousers are soaked to the skin,' "'said Rickson dismally. "'Where do you sleep?' asked Will "'as he prepared to depart on his charitable errand. "'I've got a snug place,' he replied with one of his impudent grins. "'Now, don't be any longer than you can help, Summers. "'If you've got a spark of feeling for a fellow in my condition—' and Rickson contorted his countenance into an expression of great physical anguish in order to give additional effect to his appeal. End of chapter 13